Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Edmond, Oklahoma. I have got to tell you, when Judy and I were driving down from up in South Dakota, we crossed the border into Oklahoma, I almost broke into singing O-K-L-A-H. Oh, I'm not going to do that, folks. I won't bother you with my voice. But anyway, when I was in high school, I was in that uh, stage presentation of Oklahoma. And I just love the state of Oklahoma, basically, because of that opportunity I had in high school. But we're here, and we're going to be in Edmond at the Fairview Baptist Church here in Edmond on tomorrow morning, Sunday, at 9.30 and then at 10.30. Two different messages, and that will be the services, the morning services for the Prophecy Conference here at the Fairview Baptist Church. Pastor Paul Blair, by the way, Paul used to play on the line for the Chicago Bears, NFL. Great big guy and really can preach the Word of God, an expert on what is going on in our nation and how it all began on my brand new DVD documentary is the United States in Bible Prophecy. We invited Paul up to Plymouth, Massachusetts for the purpose of talking about the pilgrims arriving there some 400 years ago, 1620. Then we went up to the Boston Commons. There we were talking about the Puritans arriving and establishing human government there over to Harvard, where John Harvard was responsible for starting the study of the Bible for preachers at that time. Harvard has changed. We went to Concord, Massachusetts as well, the first shot that was heard around the world there for the Revolutionary War. Great time we're going to have with Paul and fellowship, but study of the prophetic word of God. Come and join us, 9.30 and 10.30 Sunday morning here at the Fairview Baptist Church, Edmond, Oklahoma. Well, thank you so very much for joining us. We have our six broadcast partners standing by. We're going to talk to them about current events, and then I'll look at everything they have to say when I take a look at the book, giving you my prophetic perspective on these events as they seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Our first broadcast partner, a good friend, a very talented man, television, radio, travels around the world, international journalist, and a brand new book that he has out uh, just give us a quick update on how the sales on the book that you have as it relates to this upcoming election, basically, Ken. Well, Jimmy, just about every day there is a new story about election fraud, about ballot harvesting from these absentee or write-in ballots. And all of this I talk about in the election heist. It's a fiction. I call it a fiction, but not a fantasy it is fact-driven fiction based on a lot of research into how the Democrats are, are trying to basically game our election systems because they know they cannot win in November unless they cheat. It seems to me this would be a great read for those who are interested in how this nation is going to continue on, especially after this upcoming presidential election. Well, Ken, let me get to the purpose we get together for in our conversation, talking about geopolitical events happening around the world. Now, here's what I'm hearing, and I want to see what your thoughts might be. I understand that Iran's next move will be arms transfer, sending all types of military hardware to South America, and in particular, Venezuela. Update us on this. 
Well, the Iranians have had a, a long-standing relationship with Venezuela, but also with left-wing governments in Bolivia and elsewhere in the continent. Ten years ago, they established a so-called tractor factory in Venezuela that many people believe was actually making short-range ballistic missiles, hoping to have a Venezuela missile crisis like the Cuban Missile Crisis all those years ago under President Kennedy. But this time it would be Iran, and they would be in Venezuela. They're also talking about shipments of weapons to places like Colombia, where they would go to threaten the now pro-Western government, pro-American government there. So the Iranians are hoping as soon as the U.N. embargo on arms sales expires, which it does in a couple of days, at least in theory, they're going to hit the road again with their traveling arms bazaar and try to stir up trouble in America's backyard. That is, should be, I guess I should say, very important information for our government to be paying attention to. I've got to talk to you about Pompeo, the Secretary of State, saying that China has deployed some 60,000 soldiers to the border there with China and India. Now, last time or a couple of times ago when we talked about this incident at those borders, we understood that they were simply throwing rocks at each other. I think 60,000 rock throwers would be a pretty tough weapon. Do you not think the same? Yeah, yes, Jimmy. This uh, represents a pretty, pretty significant escalation in that simmering conflict. Uh, remember, it, it broke out into open fighting, some of the physical hand-to-hand combat in mid-June. But this is a big deal. 60,000 troops is a very large deployment. You know, that would be the equivalent of about uh, three complete U.S. divisions uh, at full strength. So uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, manpower and presumably behind that, a lot of weaponry, artillery as well. We have talked on our conversations, Ken, about the fact that China is getting basically in bed with Iran, putting together a very, very high-priced deal, 25-year deal, I think it was, about $400 billion. Now China reaffirming their support for Iran and calling for a new Middle East forum. What does that mean? Well, so what you're seeing here, and again, we have been discussing this on this program. There are very few people outside of this program looking at China's attempts to form a new strategic alliance with Iran into the Middle East. Uh, This is very important. And, oh, by the way, we'll also have this kind of new uh, forum here in the Middle East where we will back you as you try to push your interests against those of Saudi Arabia the UAE, Bahrain, countries that either have or are about to sign peace deals with Israel. You know, it's interesting, China really moving into the Middle East, also into Africa, endeavoring to try to get a place, a a fortress, some type of a situation, so that they can, from that particular location, go after Israel, which, of course, is uh, the book of Revelation, and that's uh, chapter 16 and verse 12, the kings of the east. More on that when I take a look at the book in just a moment. Talk to me about what we've been hearing, that North Korea has a massive new missile, and it's now being said that that could help Iran. Here there's Iran again as they threaten Israel. What do we know? Well, here's what actually happened, is that the North Koreans recently had a a massive uh, annual parade where they trot out all of their weapons and their prototypes, 
and they showed four gigantic tractor erector vehicles, 11 axles each, 22-wheeled tractor erector vehicles where this gigantic road mobile missile could be stood up and then fired uh, after it moves to some new deployment area. What we don't know, Jimmy, is whether they've actually test-fired. In fact, there's no open-source information to show that they've either test-fired this actual missile or whether they've test-fired the rocket motors uh, that are believed to, to power it. If it is a real missile, which, again, there's some doubt on this, if it's a real missile, it could, experts are saying, reach any place of the continental United States with a very large nuclear warhead. But again, a lot of this is hypothetical. So far, North Korea has never actually deployed a missile that it first unveiled at one of these national parades, okay? So this could just be a feint. It could just be a sign to the Trump administration or to an incoming Biden administration that, hey, we're still here. We still have a nuclear weapons program. And, oh, by the way, yep, we are still designing long-range missiles, ICBMs, that could devastate the United States of America if you don't pay us off. Because in the long run, that's what the North Koreans have always been seeking from the United States, is that we would pay them off to get rid of their nuclear weapons. You know, it's interesting to me that these rogue nations have very interesting partnerships together. North Korea, China, Iran. It's very interesting how this is developing. Well, you talked about a few moments ago the Abraham Accords, peace treaties between Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain, and some others on the agenda. When I say on the agenda, I think the big prize would be if Saudi Arabia comes together with Israel to put together a peace accord. Uh, Talk to me about the possibility of that happening, especially in light of 75% of the Saudis say they can see that pathway to peace with Israel. It's pretty astonishing. This is a very interesting development, Jimmy. It's the result of a new poll that was carried out by John Zugby, who's an Arab-American pollster here in the United States, and they found that 70% of Arabs uh, in Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Egypt, and Jordan see the Arab world heading towards a normalized relations with Israel. And in Saudi Arabia alone, they said 58% of the people would favor a peace deal with Israel. This is a pretty astonishing result, frankly. Uh, I never would have expected that 58% of Saudis would agree. This is going to transform the Middle East. I really, you know, in any normal uh, year with a normal media in this country, this would be topic A. We would be talking about this. It is such an amazing accomplishment by this president, Donald Trump, to have brought peace to countries that never were going to make peace. Uh, The UAE, Bahrain, they would normally be uh, standing behind the skirts of Saudi Arabia. For the first time, they actually stood out in front of Saudi Arabia and led the way. An amazing, amazing accomplishment. And I think the Saudis are soon to come and and join that peace agreement. And this is another story that we'll stay on top of with the help of Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. We're so grateful to have him as a broadcast partner. Great report, Ken. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Always my pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. We have temporary studios, as I've already mentioned, here in Edmond, Oklahoma. We're going to be at the Fairview Baptist Church, Pastor Paul Blair. Paul used to play line on the Chicago Bears NFL team, but now he's pastoring and an expert on study of the Word of God, but how the United States government came into existence. As I mentioned, he is one of the personalities that joined us. He joined us in Plymouth, Massachusetts, to talk about how the pilgrims, when they arrived here in the land, brought into existence human government from a biblical perspective, and that's the government that we have here in the United States today. Not a democracy, but a representative republic. Well, we're going to be with Paul tomorrow morning for a prophecy morning. It's going to be 9.30 and 10.30, two different messages. We hope that you'll come and join us as we study the prophetic word of God, looking at the current events today happening in our world and how they fit into the prophetic scenario that is found in God's word. Fairview Baptist Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. We go as promised now to David Dolan for his Middle East News update. Dear friend, if you are a student of Bible prophecy, you do not ever want to miss the update from David Dolan. Having been a journalist for over 30 years in the Middle East, he knows the Middle East, he understands all that's happening, able to give us great analysis, and that's why we go to David on a weekly basis. And David... I was talking earlier with Ken Timmerman, asked him this question, but let me give it to you as well. Looks like about 79% 
of the Saudis, located there, the body politic in Saudi Arabia, can see a path to peace with Israel. Uh, What does that mean to the Israelis? Is that key? Would that be a prize for the peace process there in the Middle East? Well, Jimmy, it would certainly be an additional prize to the uh, agreement that was ratified by the Knesset this week overwhelmingly. Over 80 of the 120 Knesset members supported it with the United Arab Emirates. Of course, that's important. And Bahrain, there's a new report that a formal agreement will also be signed with Bahrain next week, possibly. The UAE sending a delegation to Israel on Tuesday to celebrate the signing of that accord, although the late reports are they'll only stay at the airport probably because of the coronavirus outbreak in Israel. They won't go up to Jerusalem or do some of the other things planned, but that's good. Saudi Arabia would be an additional prize for sure, and a big one because it's a bigger country. It's much wealthier. It's considered one of the two leaders in the Arab world, along with Egypt. And it has uh, such huge oil resources, of course, so that's important as well. So to have a formal peace with uh, the Saudis would be great. Again, as in most of the Arab countries, opinion surveys show that especially younger uh, people are tired of the ongoing conflict with Israel and don't see the need to continue with that. Uh, It's the Palestinians, of course, that keep beating the war drum, and this week their U.N. ambassador condemned Israel for building new settlements, uh, new homes in some of the settlements in Judea and Samaria. Over 5,000 new homes approved this week by the government of Israel. The Palestinians condemning that, saying it's apartheid and there will be no peace. And, of course, for the Israelis, as long as the conflict with the Palestinians continues, Uh, These other things are important, but they don't erase that very depressing fact, because, of course, the Palestinians are living amongst the Israelis and uh, can carry out attacks much easier that way, and personal attacks and terrorism and that sort of thing. But we're hopeful that the Saudis will come on board, and uh, it looks like that may well uh, happen. But again, as I've mentioned several times, being the guardians of the Islamic holiest sites in Mecca and Medina, uh, they're a little more reluctant to deal with the Jewish state. You were talking about the Palestinians. Let me continue that in our conversation. I understand the Palestinian Authority, Mufti, which would be the highest ranking Islamic cleric there with the Palestinian Authority, has said that the Sharia obligates every Muslim to make holy war jihad against the Jews. Give us the latest on that. Yes, well, that is a very widely held belief amongst fundamentalist Muslims. It was also accentuated this week by Hamas television in the Gaza Strip, which broadcast a story saying that the Quran permits the killing of Jews because Jews are by nature criminals, because they reject Muhammad as the final prophet and this sort of thing for the most part. So uh, this is the line that uh, Muslim fundamentalists take. It's the core of the conflict, as I've said so many times, between uh, Israel and the Islamic world, really. 
and that is this Islamic idea that they have superseded uh, Judaism and Christianity, that they represent the final truth and the full truth, and that the greatest prophet is theirs, Muhammad, and not Moses or Jesus or any of these other things. So, you know, they base it on their religious faith, and that is something hard to change, as the late King Hussein of Jordan pointed out in a speech one time, that you can't really negate uh, the religious beliefs of your people if they really hold to them. And unfortunately, one of those uh, tenets is this rejection of the Jewish state. But as we just discussed, younger uh, Muslims in a lot of the Arab world are turning more and more towards the idea of peace and uh, are not uh, picking up the sword of jihad, but uh, the Palestinian Authority still is, Hamas very much still is, Hezbollah is, Iran is, uh, Turkey increasingly so, and all of that combined means that the war will continue. It's just a sad fact. I read a report this week, David, that uh, there are more Jews that prayed on the Temple Mount than at the Western Wall, their normal place of prayer. They're in the old city of Jerusalem during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Very interesting change. Seems like the government is loosening up a little bit. What can you tell us? Well, basically, Jimmy, it was kind of the opposite. The government was enforcing very strongly a ban on public gatherings at the Western Wall. In fact, of course, all the holy sites in Israel have been completely closed for the last three weeks. That includes the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Temple Mount, uh, supposedly. But as you say, there were a lot of Jews that managed to go up and pray there uh, during the feast, and that's definitely different. But it isn't that they were rejecting the Western Wall. It's just that it was easier for the authorities to keep uh, large crowds from gathering at the Western Wall than up on the Temple Mount, where Israel has authority. But it shares that authority with the Muslim Waqf. Of course, they have had banned Muslims from going up there and praying as well. But all of those sites, by the way, Jimmy, are supposed to reopen tomorrow as Israel eases out of the three-week lockdown. They're going to do it slowly, but the cases have dropped uh, to well under 2,000 a day now, which is what they were aiming to do. So they're going to open preschools, and they're going to return some businesses are, are going to be open. Beaches and parks, again, are going to be open, and people free to travel and free to go back to the Western Wall. They will be reopened, at least, and we'll see how that changes things. But as we've been talking about, the Temple Mount itself is becoming more and more of a focus for Jewish prayer, and um, definitely more of it's happening than ever before, in, at least in modern times. Very interesting statement from Bashar Assad, David. He is the president, of course, as you know, of Syria. He said, hey, they are open to Israeli talks on peace if indeed the Golan Heights is returned to Syria. I think that would be a non-starter for Israel, would it not? Well, the only real issue between Israel and Syria is the Golan Heights. I mean, the only real land issue, I should say. Of course, there's that religious <laughs> opposition that we talked about amongst many of the Muslims, and we have Hezbollah operating there and Iran, etc. But the only land dispute is the Golan Heights, so presumably any peace talks would focus on the Golan Heights. If before the talks can even take place, Israel already agrees to give that entirely back to Syria, and we've got to remind the listeners that it was supposed to be included in the Jewish state according to the 1920s agreement between the world powers. That was supposed to be part of Israel. 
It later became part of Syria, but Israel captured it in 1967. And no, they're not going to agree to give that back before any talks begin. So there won't be any peace talks with Syria. Uh, the talks did officially begin with Lebanon this week, however, um, on uh, Wednesday in, in the Kura. I've been there in South Lebanon, where the U.N. has its headquarters, U.S. mediating those one-day talks, but there's going to be further talks. That's over the maritime issues between those two countries. But with Syria, I don't think it's going to happen, and certainly that condition that Assad is putting forth is a non-starter. Well, as long as they're talking, David, they're not firing at each other, so that's good, I guess. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us with his Middle East News Update, A very important report each and every week. So glad we can have David standing by to assist us in understanding what's happening in that very important region of the world. David, thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll change to another region of the world that is key. That's the European Union. John Rood is standing by to give us his report all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at what we have set up as a temporary studio for Prophecy Today. As I mentioned earlier, we're in Edmond, Oklahoma. I'll be at the Fairview Baptist Church. Pastor Paul Blair, former NFL player with the Chicago Bears and a great pastor, very knowledgeable of not only how the Word of God tells us to live today, but in addition to that, how the United States government all came together. He is one of the participants in my two-and-a-half-hour documentary, is the United States in Bible Prophecy. And you do not want to miss getting a copy of that. You can do that by going to my Prophecy Bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore. The documentary is entitled, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy? Well, as I promised, we're going to get a report, an update on the European Union Our man who does that, John Rood, living in Brussels, Belgium for a number of years, knows the European Union just about like the back of his hand. We always enjoy going to John to get the latest information. And John, let me begin. As I understand it, the intelligence agency for the United Kingdom are saying that Russia and China are threatening 
and it's in fact growing threats against the United Kingdom. What do you know? Yes, the UK counterpart of the CIA is uh, MI5, probably shows up in certain spy movies, etc. They have a new boss, and the, he has made some statements that you know Russian and Chinese players are uh, growing in severity and said that the U.K. has faced threats from assassinations, threats to the economy, threats to academic research, infrastructure, and even to democracy. MI5's last update said they had thwarted, indeed, 27 terrorist plots in the last four years. Probably of uh, utmost interest is this past summer the U.K. even accused Russia of attempting to steal coronavirus secrets. As usual, a lot of things behind the scenes happening uh, on that particular level of national security. John, as you and I have talked before, we do believe that the European Union may well be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. So when I hear something that's going on as it relates to any member state in the European Union and its relationship with Israel, I always want to bring it to your attention. For example, there's a report that France is considering alternatives to the two-state solution. Now, that would have to get past the Palestinian Authority and the Israeli government, but can you update us on that as well? It's a bit surprising. We've covered the last few weeks how there has been such progress from the United States, uh, what's referred to as the Abraham Accords, and how there's been Now, with Israel, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, the Middle East has completely changed, and we knew that the European Union was lagging. Now, as you've mentioned, France is really considering some alternatives. Their diplomats are speaking and saying that, oh, well, this is sort of uh, self-evident that uh, there's been such a change. And so they still prefer and think there's not an official position change they consider there's a two-state solution is, is the best. But they're definitely changing their tone and saying that no one's not going to know what happens if it's a one-state, two-state solution with or without Jerusalem. But they've come on the record to say that they can't accept any solution. So, so this is new, of course, and uh, as you mentioned, of course, are extremely important to monitor the relations between the European Union and Israel, because ultimately that's where we have the biblical prophecy directly from Daniel chapter 9. And John, at the same time, Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey seems to be fueling hostility against the West, and in particular the European Union. Give us the update. Turkey has certainly been in the news, and they have been uh, aggressive, and we've mentioned this through the weeks as well. Particularly now, uh, France's uh, leader Macron is clashing with uh, Erdogan, and they're, they're both playing uh, semi-escalation in this. But we need to realize that what's happening is not just Turkey's current violations, uh, you know, into the eastern Mediterranean waters, threatening Cyprus, stands with uh, Muslim immigration, etc. But it's really this uh, position that President Erdogan has assumed on himself to be a spokesman for the Muslim world and to create possibly some form of a neo-Ottoman empire. And when we, when we encounter empire in this context, uh, well, that's very important for us in terms of Bible prophecy. 
You uh, mentioned uh, that uh, tie-up Erdogan and also Macron, president of France, they've been going back and forth with each other. In fact, France has warned Turkey that indeed the European Union will put sanctions on Turkey if they continue the provocation that we've just been talking about. That's a pretty strong threat, isn't it? Exactly. European sanctions, uh, it's a very strong statement that uh, they want to, uh, you know, draw the line. Then again, the history of sanctions, oftentimes it's basically targeted towards a few of the leaders to uh, hinder some of their movement and their uh, financial resources, etc. They want to deal with the Turkish government and not with the Turkish people, but uh, ultimately how efficient and productive uh, are the sanctions? Uh, It does deal with the leaders, but it doesn't really deal with the underlying problems which have uh, created the situation. It's a step. It's a step. And uh, I would expect some more clashing between France and Turkey in particular. And we'll continue to watch that with John Rood because John's report on the European Union is essential if you're a student of Bible prophecy. We've already mentioned in this conversation that the European Union, most likely the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, that's a major player in the end-time prophetic scenario that God lays out in his word. John, thank you very much, my good friend. Appreciate it. Great report. We'll talk again next week. And thank you. Uh, The product sounded really wonderful if if the United States is in Bible prophecy. Interesting. John Rue giving us his very important report on the European Union and update as we look at the political, which is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Now, here's a broadcast partner coming to the broadcast table We haven't heard from him a lot, but we always go to him with a very important conversation. I'm talking about Ron Morrow, and Ron is a man who has been in the economic field, a economic advisor for many, many years, watching what's going on not only here in the United States, but around the world as it relates to the economies of each and every one of the nations. It's key as we look at the end times because economics is going to play a key role in what happens, Revelation chapter 18 and other locations in the book of Revelation. Ron, you have a website that uh, people, if they're interested in economics, can come to and find out great information and get your commentary. Give us that website, if you will. Yes, Jimmy, it's prophecytracker.org. Prophecytracker.org, that's the place to go. I would bookmark it on my website if I were you. Very important and key information coming from Ron. Well, Ron, uh, the reason I got a hold of you, I read an article that talked about digital currency. As I understand it, Facebook put together a plan to have a global currency, a digital type of a currency. How's that going? What's the situation on Facebook and that plan? You know, on on July 18th, 2019, Facebook announced its intention to issue a global digital currency with the name Libra. Libra was supposed to be built into a digital wallet called Calibra Wallet that would then be built into an app for a laptop, iPhone, or smartphone so that people could access the money. 
Now, Facebook saw Libra as a way to get banking to 1.7 billion people around the world who do not have bank accounts, making it kind of a central bank while avoiding massive regulatory approvals. But that's not what happened, Jimmy. Libra could not escape the global regulations, and on July 30th, 2019, it hit a brick wall over the regulatory problems it had hoped to avoid. In April of this year, Facebook was reported to be looking at a scaled-down Libra attached to just one currency in an attempt to get regulatory approval. But if that happens, it is really more than one more digital currency out of many already in existence. Well, now, because of that and the failure, basically, of put what they wanted to do together, Facebook is kind of scaling down, as you said. But I understand the central banks are considering virtual money, if that's a possibility, and what can happen. Before I get into the central banks and what they're doing, what is a central bank? Explain that to our listeners. Uh, Very simply, a central bank has control over the creation and distribution of money and credit for a nation. In other words, the central bank is the commercial bank's banker. And globally, all central banks report to the Bank of International Settlements based in Switzerland, commonly called the BIS. It's the central bank's banker. Now, central banks may be publicly or privately owned or a combination of both, and their main functions are issuing money, and being the lender of last resort to commercial banks and governments when money is scarce. The central bank targets low inflation by controlling short-term interest rates. It also targets growth, unemployment, and it tries to ensure the stability of the financial system. For example, Jimmy, the U.S. Central Bank or Federal Reserve injected $6.8 trillion into the market back in March for stability during the COVID crisis. So the Federal Reserve is an agency of the federal government whose chairman is appointed by the president and Congress. It's made up of 12 regional member banks, each with a focus on a particular geographical zone of the country. And lastly, the Fed's income is derived primarily from the interest it receives on U.S. government securities. Well, that's great information, especially for us who are out here and really not knowing how the economies of the world are unfolding, especially here in the United States. Now, I also understand, if I'm correct, that the central banks are putting together a framework for a digital currency. And in layman's terms, how are they going to do that? How will that come together? On April 29th of this year, the BBC reported that the coronavirus accelerated the decline of cash usage. And in fact, The lockdown has led to a 60% fall in the number of withdrawals from cash machines, causing experts to say that the future of cash is at risk. So most small businesses, especially fast food stores, have been restricting the use of cash since March. And while most central banks are telling the public that digital currency is not meant to replace cash, the facts on the ground tell a different story. In fact, if we work backwards from what we know from Bible prophecy, the opposite is true. And, of course, that is the ultimate goal as we look forward and, as you said, look to the pages of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. How could it ultimately go into a total digital money across the world? And is that possible in the near future, Ron? You know, on September 26th, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester announced in a speech on central bank digital currencies. Now, they're called CBDCs for short that recent legislation has proposed, and this is shocking, Jimmy, that each American one day will have an account with the Fed 
in which digital dollars could be quickly deposited to be used for emergency relief. Two things immediately are accomplished with that. Cash is eliminated, and the central bank has control of everything. Boy, that does sound very similar to what the Antichrist will use as foretold there in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. You're a student and teacher of Bible prophecy. Does it not sound very much like that end-time scenario to you, Ron? Correct. For an authoritarian government to have complete control over every financial transaction, central banks will likely begin consolidating, and eventually there will be only one. And that will be located in the city, the literal city of Babylon, where the Antichrist will rule and reign over a one-world economic, political, governmental system. Well, we'll have more on that when we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Ron, thank you so very much. You are so good. You make a layman like me be able to understand what's going on, but it's very key information as we look to the future. So thank you, my good friend. One more time, give us that location of your website and how people can get there. It's prophecytracker.org, Jimmy, and thank you so much for having me on, and God bless you and our listeners. Very important conversation with Ron about digital currency. That may well be what the Antichrist will use in the future as it relates to that mark on the forehead and the back of the hand. Well, right now, we're going to go to my good friend, Dr. Don DeYoung. Don, we've got to get together somehow. I know that you must be good-looking because I'm so good-looking, and our last name is DeYoung. We need to somehow get together if I'm in your area of the world. Uh, Jimmy, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) You're left speechless, are you? Well, that's great. Thank you for joining us. And I had a couple of reasons. I only had one. I was going to talk about the unbelievable appearance of asteroids in 2020. Now, I know we've discussed that issue before, but I had some more questions. But then my son, Jim Jr., sent both you and me a late-breaking news article. Uh, The European Space Agency is sending a spacecraft up to and in endeavor to try to find out about Mercury, uh, one of the planets out there in our own universe. But I wanted to ask you about what they said. On the way to Mercury, they are going to fly by Venus, and they were going to spend some time looking for life on Venus. Now, before uh, we talk about uh, the possibility of life on any other planet, as it relates to our twin planet with Earth, could there be possibility of life on any other planet? And I think we discussed it before, but remind everybody what you said then. Well, yes, Jimmy, uh, there is a lot of interest in uh, nearby planets, both uh, Mercury and Venus. And uh, what's happened uh, on Venus, there's been a detection of some phosgene gas in the atmosphere there. Now, of course, that's deadly poison, but phosgene would be a type of a bacteria. So there's just a thought that perhaps there's some kind of uh, microbe life somehow on Venus. Now, definitely a long shot. Venus is a a desperate planet, about 900 degrees for the temperature and and poisonous. Actually, what's going on, Jimmy, is there's a continual search for life other places. There's the assumption that life begins spontaneously. 
that it happened on Earth, and so it should happen elsewhere. But, of course, what we're finding, the result of this whole space age, is that there's not a shred of life evidence anywhere else, whereas on the Earth, God's placed abundant life from pole to pole. And in addition to that, in his word, he said that he chose Earth in which to send his son, Jesus Christ, having put us on this earth so we could be redeemed to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's absolute evidence, is it not? Well, that's very correct. Scripture says that um, God gave the earth to man, but the heavens belong to him, not to aliens. Okay, well, that gives a good answer. And because it was late-breaking news, I wanted to touch base with it when I had my conversation with you, Don. Now let's get to our thoughts about asteroids. I have been reading more articles since we last talked, and the number of asteroids whizzing by Earth are unbelievable. However, I understand through this article that I read that NASA, the National Space Agency, NASA is missing most of these. They're only catching a few. Why is that the case? Yes, well, Jimmy, asteroids are rocky objects that orbit the sun. They're part of the solar system. A lot of them are out there between Mars and Jupiter, but some certainly wander in our direction as well. And there are hundreds of thousands of asteroids, perhaps millions of them. They are uh, rather small, usually several feet in size and up from there. It is a challenge to detect these things. Um, They're reflecting the sunlight, but they're rather dim. What they need to do is take multiple photographs of the night sky and then look at those pictures to see if any of those dim lights are changing position which would show that they are uh, uh, orbiting the Earth, and then you have an asteroid, and they can figure out uh, just where they are. But since they're small and not a lot of light, it is difficult to um, see them, and some still kind of come by us uh, in surprise that are never seen. But probably about uh, 20 or more per month do come through our vicinity of space and are monitored and are, are looked at. Now, they are getting better at this. I don't think it's the the number of asteroids that's increasing, but our detection is getting better. So we are just seeing more than before. But I would say ever since creation, these objects are sailing around. Some come close, some come far, some burn up. It's just part of this whole age that we live in. I read a report, Don, that in August, an asteroid flew about 1,830 miles over the Indian Ocean. Now, that, of course, as I understand by the article, is the closest that a non-impacting asteroid was ever recorded coming that close to the Earth. And it was moving at about 27,000 miles per hour. NASA actually only noticed it about six hours before it whizzed past. And that does seem to me to be dangerous for Earth dwellers. Is that the case? Yes, that would be a close approach. Anything within a few thousand miles, most of these uh, asteroids are way beyond even the distance to the moon or even millions of miles. So when they do come close, there's definitely a hazard there. Although, again, most of these uh, asteroids are small, just um, several feet in size. And what they do is they can skip off the top of our atmosphere like a stone off the surface of water and be lost. Or if they do enter our atmosphere, they will usually burn up completely. Now, if they are large enough to last, then they might hit the ground and become a meteorite, although most of those would land in the sea as well. 
It's just rarely that uh, one causes some damage. There was one in Russia a couple of years ago that um, kind of shook people up when it burned up in the atmosphere and kind of exploded. Uh, so this happens now and then, and uh, people worry that these things could end life as we know it. And, of course, that's a real stretch. God didn't make this whole system that we'd be destroyed by an asteroid, but they do keep us awake. They are interesting, part of uh, part of the solar system. Yeah, they are. And we've got to mention, of course, the election asteroids that are to come towards the Earth November the 2nd, just at the time of the presidential election. That's still on target to come this way, is it not? Well, it is, and that's a small one. That asteroid measures to be about six feet across, which is on the small size, maybe the size of a car. And again, even if that would uh, impact the Earth, it would burn up in the atmosphere. It would never reach the ground. It would be a, 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 a shooting star. You'd see that flare in the sky. But there's no real danger there. It's just kind of interesting that it is showing up uh, at the time of our presidential election. And it's also interesting that NASA has put together a portion of uh, their organization called NEO, Near Earth Objects. And since 1998, uh, they say that they've counted almost one million asteroids. Now, you mentioned that earlier, there could be millions. Uh, Would you say that's a low number or a high number as far as NASA is concerned? I would say that's certainly in the ballpark, maybe even several millions of asteroids. Just, there's a lot of room out there, and there's just a lot of this um, space debris. And so, yes, NASA has been commissioned to really uh, fine-tune this to watch for asteroids. And again, that comes down to high-resolution photographs of the sky every night and then to look for changes. And it's good. It's uh, uh, just more that we are learning about the grand variety of nearby space. Having lived in Israel for a number of years, I know that the Jews refer sometimes to the passage in Numbers, chapter 24 and verse 17, where it talks about a star announcing the Messiah. However, I don't believe that refers, as you know scripture as well as you know astronomy, that refers to the second coming of Christ, but the birth of Christ, doesn't it? Uh, Yes, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. That's a wonderful verse in Numbers. Now, it does say the word star, and, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, that's just the light in the sky. And so some have taken that idea that uh, maybe that represents some kind of fiery impact, like an asteroid. But I think um, truly that is a, a mention of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, that's the verse that we can enjoy. Not an asteroid, but it's It's really the star of Bethlehem. It's Christ, the morning star. And the one who came to give us all salvation. Well, that is the case at the first coming of Christ. But as we read, especially in the book of Revelation, we read about the heavens and some objects. It could well be an asteroid when you talk about wormwood, for example, coming at the time during the tribulation. So, That's something that what we see going on as it relates to asteroids may be a precursor to that time, could it not? Well, certainly. And, you know, once in a while, Jimmy, we have a a flood of um, shooting stars. Uh, We call it a meteor shower or a meteor storm. And that always uh, wakes up people when this happens, when the Earth passes through a cloud of this debris. And uh, maybe that's just all a good, serious reminder of uh, what could happen at the end of times when the very heavens are disturbed and the, and the stars fall. Of course, the Lord controls all that. 
But these meteor showers are maybe just a brief glimpse of uh, what's to come. Yes, indeed. And, of course, Jesus Christ coming uh, to call us up to be with him at the rapture of the church. By the way, Don, I read about some shooting starts to take place the other night, went out and sat there quite a while and did not see him. I wish I knew more precise information. Is there any way we can find out exactly when those shooting stars? I would love to see that. You know, Jimmy, I've had that same experience. You'll read in the media that there's going to be a meteor shower, and so you go out to look for it and it doesn't show up. It's a challenge. You've got to get away from city lights, and uh, the number of uh, meteors or shooting stars always increases the later it is, especially after midnight, the way that the Earth sweeps them up. Actually, I've had my best success not when there's a meteor shower, but even just a a normal night. If you can uh, get in a dark sky area, you should see a, a shooting star maybe every couple of minutes or so. You're not sure where to look. It can be anywhere in the sky. But anyway, they they are up there, so keep looking. My conversation with Don DeYoung is evidence as to how he has motivated me to become an amateur astronomer. He's got a book. Remind me of the title of that book. I don't have it here right in front of me now. Well, that book, Jimmy, is titled Astronomy in the Bible. It's uh, by uh, Baker Books, and it's available on Amazon or from your store. Yes, indeed, our Prophecy Bookstore at my website, prophecytoday.com. Always a very interesting conversation with you, Don, when we get together. Thank you so much for giving me a moment and exciting me about the heavenlies. They do declare the glory of the Lord. We'll have another conversation down the road, I hope, real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time. Well, we're going to have to take a break when I come back. Want more broadcast partner, David James? You don't want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here in Edmond, Oklahoma in Temporary Studios. We're here because I'll be at the Fairview Baptist Church Sunday morning. Two great prophecy meetings. We'll have one at 9.30, another at 10.30. Two different prophecy messages. Want you to come and join us. Pastor Paul Blair used to be an NFL football player. Now he is pastor of the church here, inviting everybody to join us. Again, that's the Fairview Baptist Church, 9.30 and 10.30 tomorrow morning. So glad you could come back and give us this last half hour of 90 minutes that I've asked for in order to be able to have my broadcast partners give you the details on current events happening around the world. I would like for you to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page on the left-hand column, you can find my poll question. I would love for you to answer it. Here's the question. Do you think it is important for United States voters, you and me, to know where the candidates stand on all of the issues since the Lord will put in their hearts to fulfill his will as foretold in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17? Now that's the poll question. Please answer it. It's at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I, with our weekly conversation, will focus on an issue key to the body of Christ 
and we'll give you a biblical perspective. By the way, that issue this time, the confirmation hearings, liberalism, and the future of our country. Well, David, it's so good to have you back behind the microphone here at the broadcast table. You know, we, as you are well aware, received an email from a listener about our discussion last week when we talked about abortion. And there was not a question, but I did want you to share what he wrote and share that with our listeners, please, today. Sure, Jimmy. It really was an encouraging email, and I, and I do think it's worth reading a good portion of it on air. He wrote this, I just want to let you know that my wife and I appreciated what you and David James had to say on your weekly broadcast regarding abortion. We have a 15-year-old special needs granddaughter who doctors said probably would not reach the age of three. She's never spoken and has never been able to sit up on her own, nor has she been able to walk. She is fed through a tube in her abdomen and also now has scoliosis. And then he went on to say this, although many people today probably think it would have been better for our daughter and son-in-law to abort her, that little girl has been a big blessing to our family and has given her parents numerous opportunities to be a witness for Christ. She was a person from the moment of conception. Thank you for staying true to God's Word. We consider you and your broadcast partners to be dear brothers in Christ. So, Jimmy, I'm sure there are many others out there with similar testimonies, and we were definitely blessed by this email. Well, I've got to tell you, David, when I read that email myself, it brought tears to my eyes. Just a, a real blessing to understand how the Lord is using Prophecy Today and our conversations together to work in the hearts and lives of people. Well, let's move on now to today's discussion. In some ways, it's basically a follow-up to what we talked about last week concerning the confirmation hearings. I know that you had some time to watch at least some of the hearings. I did as the same as you, only had a bit of time to watch them, listen to them while we were traveling as we were making our way into Oklahoma so we could hear some of it. So what were some of the initial impressions of Judge Barrett and the process that you had, David? Well, I did watch quite a bit of the hearings, and it seems certain that she'll be confirmed next week. I think that's on Friday. However, I posted the following on my Facebook timeline at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. I wrote this, I don't know who might be watching the Barrett confirmation hearings, but for the last 30 minutes, Feinstein, uh, meaning uh, Senator uh, Dianne Feinstein, uh, has been conducting herself in an utterly shameful way, and she's constantly demanding answers to the questions that Barrett could not possibly give without disqualifying herself, not only from SCOTUS, but from the appellate court where she now serves. And then I said, it gives the feeling that she, meaning Feinstein, is trying to lay ethical traps. So, Jimmy, the, the Democrat senators repeatedly tried together to give opinions she just could not give and to tip her hand judicially, which she just could not do. And she was following what's known as the Ginsburg rule. And then they berated her for it. And I don't remember hearing many questions from them about her qualifications as they primarily focused on just three things over and over, which were the Affordable Care Act, abortion, and same-sex marriage. And I would say, Jimmy, if this had been a court of law, there would have been objection after objection.
prosecution for badgering the witness. In response to one of the comments on my Facebook post, I said, there's a difference between thinking you're the smartest person in the room and actually being that person. And I would say Barrett was unquestionably that person, and she may have one of the best minds of any justice to ever sit on the court. You know, you brought a smile to my face when you said thinking and knowing that you are. (laughs) That was a great statement. Well, you mentioned that Amy Coney Barrett is currently an appellate court judge. And I know that you've done some research into how the overall court system actually works. But I doubt it's completely clear to all the Americans. Could you help us a little bit there? Well, Jimmy, we certainly don't want to get into the weeds on this, but I do think it's helpful to understand the structure of our court system, given the basis for our constitutional republic. So we have a dual court system with the federal courts on one side and the state courts on the other, and there are differences between the states, but in general there are various local and state courts for cases at those levels. Then there are courts of appeal or appellate courts, and if necessary, cases move to state supreme courts for final resolution, or depending on the situation, some cases can move directly from local to state Supreme Courts. Now, state Supreme Courts are the final courts of appeal unless something takes the whole case into federal jurisdiction. Now, on the federal side, there are 94 district courts, which are trial courts, and those generally involve federal laws or disputes between states, and there are other things, but again, we don't want to get into the weeds on this. Then there are 13 circuit courts, and these These are federal appellate courts, and Amy Coney Barrett has been on the Seventh Circuit Court since she was confirmed to that position in May of 2017. And the Supreme Court can hear any case involving federal law in some way, often related to the Constitution, and they take on somewhere between 100 to 150 of the 7 to 8,000 criminal and civil cases presented to it each year. So that's just a quick overview. Well, thank you. That was uh, very informative. David, one of the things that we've touched on in the past is the difference between how liberal and conservative Supreme Court justices actually decide cases that they hear. Could you take just a couple of minutes to explain these approaches a little bit more? Because just that knowledge itself will be so key for Christians in this country in the future. Well, that's right, Jimmy, and it's important because the framers of the Constitution wrote it from a Judeo-Christian worldview, which we've mentioned before. Now, some of those framers had very bad theology, but it's undeniable that biblical principles do undergird the Constitution. And when it comes to Supreme Court justices, there's a fundamental difference between conservative and liberal judicial approaches when it comes to the Constitution. So liberal justices tend to be what are called living constitutions constitutionalists who see the Constitution as a living document that must be interpreted and applied according to the evolving cultural context. And so the question that they ask is frequently something along the lines of, what does it mean to me, meaning the Constitution itself? Now, conservatives tend to be originalists who see the Constitution as a fixed and stable document that must be interpreted according to the intent of its authors and how it was understood by the 
those who ratified it. So the text means what it said. So the question for them would be, what did this mean when it was written? And Jimmy, when a country that was established on biblical principles moves away from those principles, then this drift is only going to accelerate if neither the legislative nor the judicial branches of government have an anchor for decision-making. And, and this isn't to suggest that the Constitution is a perfect document, but the framers made provision for course corrections for the Constitution through uh, amendments, and that happens through a combination of proposals by the Congress, and then that is ratified by the state. I think your key phrase there was an anchor for decision-making. I like that very much. Well, in talking about living constitutionalism versus constitutional originalism, it sounds a lot like the differences between liberal and conservative theology. Do you think there's a connection between the two, David? Jimmy, I absolutely think there's a significant correlation between the two. So just ask yourself these questions. How many social and political liberals do you know who are theologically conservative And on the other side, how many do you know who take the Bible literally, take it seriously, who are socially and politically liberal? And and there are reasons why across-the-board liberalism or conservatism exists, and it's because of competing worldviews. There are different philosophies of life, and so different approaches to almost everything. Theological conservatives take the Bible seriously and work hard to figure out what God was saying to the biblical writers in their own historical context, and to apply those principles to influence culture because they believe in absolute truth. On the other hand, theological liberals, they tend to see the Bible as largely or entirely a human book written by fallible people just trying to explain and deal with situations in their historical context, and so they allow their interpretations to be influenced by culture, our own culture, the modern culture, the present-day culture, and they tend not to believe in absolute truth. And so I would say this is why conservative evangelicals, by and large, want originalist justices on the Supreme Court, and why originalists are nominated and confirmed by the more conservative of the two major parties here in the United States. David Would you say, as your opinion might come into focus here, uh, there are indications that things are going to become more difficult for conservative Christians going forward as worldviews continue to move in a more liberal direction? Well, think about this. Uh, A 2019 New York Times article noted that only 49% of American millennials consider themselves Christians of any kind, compared with 84% of those in their mid-70s or older. And between September 2014 and June 2016, less than two years, the number of evangelical Protestants who believed it's becoming harder to be an evangelical in the United States grew by 7%, from 34 to 41%. Then going back to 20. 2016, uh, the author of a book titled It's Dangerous to Believe wrote in a Time Magazine article the following, Some have paid unexpected prices for their beliefs lately. The teacher in New Jersey suspended for giving a student a Bible. The football coach in Washington placed on leave for saying a prayer on the field at the end of a game. The fire chief in Atlanta fired for self-publishing a book defending Christian moral teaching. The Marine court-martialed for pasting a Bible verse above her desk. 
anti-Christian activists hurl smears like bigot and hater at Americans who hold traditional beliefs about marriage and accuse anti-abortion Christians of waging a supposed war on women. And then this author went on to say this, flagship evangelical schools like Gordon College in Massachusetts and King's College in New York have had their accreditation questioned. Activists have targeted homeschooling for being a Christian thing, and atheist Richard Dawkins called it tantamount to child abuse. And so, Jimmy, government won't save us, but in a representative republic, voting is one way that we can influence our culture, and we need to be involved in that influence, I believe. Yes, that franchise of voting, essential, but also continue to remember First Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4, pray for those who are in higher authority. That's an exhortation from the Apostle Paul, God's prophetic word for us today. David, I do believe this was a great teaching session for the listeners of Prophecy Today. I want to thank you for your research and uh, putting this all together. Appreciate it, my good friend. Get ready. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to it as always. We're going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to take my Bible, open it up, take the reports from our broadcast partners, and we're going to compare what they had to report to us and what God's prophetic word calls for, I believe, in the very near future. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today. 
for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today Weekend, we went to our broadcast partners for their insight on current events in our world. My broadcast partners have great knowledge of world events, especially in the region and or area that they are covering. In a moment, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on these news stories, but I actually needed my broadcast partners to weigh in first. I hope that you were able to hear all of these reports. If not, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, it's on the right-hand column, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we've archived these reports. You can listen at your convenience. And also tell a friend or a family member about these reports. They need to hear this information as well. Right now, as promised, let me give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman, he covers geopolitical activities for us, and we talked about Iran's next move, which would be to transfer military hardware to South America. You know, Iran wants to destroy the big Satan, the United States. However, Iran's movement of these munitions to South America will be a threat to the United States. But remember, America is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. Iran, of course, is mentioned in Ezekiel 38.5, and they will be a major player in the end times, what they are doing in light of South America and transferring weapons there, only to be a threat to the United States before the rapture takes place. Uh, David Dolan is our man who covers the Middle East. He has done it for over 30 years, and now he's reporting that more Jews are praying on the Temple Mount than at the Western Wall, their normal location where they offer prayers. You do realize, of course, that the Temple Mount is the most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people. They have not been allowed to go up onto the Temple Mount to pray. Thus, their prayers have been taking place at the Western Wall. However, now that seems to be changing. Maybe it's the Israeli government. We're not absolutely sure. It could be the coronavirus, which is causing this to happen. Israeli government stopping all gatherings at the Western Wall for prayer. They cannot control that up on the Temple Mount. But the Jews do realize the importance of the Temple Mount. They believe that's where the Messiah will come and build his temple and rule and reign from there forever. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. John Rood always comes with a very important political report coming out of the European Union which John and I both believe is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. MI5, which is the intelligence agency for Great Britain, has growing concerns about threats from Russia and China. These threats on Great Britain from Russia and China, a precursor to what will happen during the tribulation period. For example, Russia, Ezekiel 38 two 
will be active in the first part of the tribulation period, and China's activities in the tribulation, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, will happen at the end of that seven-year period of time. Very interesting information as the stage is being set for both of those prophecies to be fulfilled. Ron Murrow is the man who covers the economic world activities for us right here on Prophecy Today. He had a report on digital currency on the horizon. You know, this report speaks to the plan of Antichrist, Revelation chapter 13, and he's setting up a plan a program for economics in a one-world economy. That's found in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, where it talks about an identification mark on the forehead or the back of the hand in order to be able to buy or sell. That mark would also be effective in a one-world digital currency. Bible prophecy will be set up that way and headquartered in Babylon during the last half of the tribulation period. That's Revelation 18. Always love talking with Don DeYoung, my namesake. He is a doctor, and he is not only a scientist, but an astronomer as well. I went to Don to talk about the space probe on a mission to Mercury, However, on the way, they did a flyby Venus looking for signs of life. And also, Don gave us a report on the increase in asteroids in 2020. These activities in the heavens display the glory of the Lord. That's Psalm chapter 19. But at the same time, they draw attention to the future after the rapture. As foretold in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12 and other passages in the book of Revelation, the activities in the heavens during the tribulation period. And of course, we had our weekly conversation with David James, this time focusing on the Senate confirmation hearings of Amy Coney Barrett to fulfill the vacant seat on the Supreme Court. Again, this process unfolding today is why God set in place human government. He did that to lead this world in a direction that will accomplish his will. Go back to Revelation 17, verse 17 again, and you'll see that the Lord will put in the hearts of political leaders to make decisions to ultimately accomplish his will. These have been very important reports from my broadcast partners. You know, we ask you each and every week for 90 minutes so that you can hear these reports. Thus, you can better understand what's happening in our world today. And of course, why, in light of this prophetic scenario in Bible prophecy, that these events are taking place. These activities are tangible evidence that the rapture is very, very close at hand. In fact, it could even happen today. And with that said, nothing else for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.